All right, everybody, welcome back to our latest edition of the Coach's Corner Podcast, which is part of the In the Flat Family of Podcasts. My name is Tony Kill, once again, your host for your new favorite podcast, uh, joined again by Coach Jeff Kamarmi here. So this week, our matchup will be reviewing Texas A&M at, versus Miami. Uh, this one lost a little bit of luster last week with Texas A&M's loss to Appalachian State. Uh, but I feel like this makes it a little bit more intriguing as, um, you know, with Jimmer Fisher, you're now kind of, I wouldn't want to say on the hot seat, but you really can't afford to lose two in a row, especially you have Arkansas next week, Alabama the week after that. I mean, it's this is kind of the meet your schedule you have to get through. So if you lose this, then you're going to be really in trouble this season. Um, and I don't think you can lose, you can afford to lose those games. And then Miami is really coming in, you know, rather hot. I mean, they have um, their offense have looked pretty good the, the last couple uh, couple of weeks. And obviously they have a new offensive coordinator in, in Josh Gaddits. And I will say so far the early returns on that seem to be pretty good, but obviously they, the, the level of competition Hasn't been there, but I, I will say, you know, Gaddis, who, um, you know, you can also talk a little more about this, but, you know, seemed to really emphasize that speed and space. And I think the Hurricanes are a pretty good job taking advantage of that, you know, nine yards of play. And, um, you know, their running backs are doing good. Henry Parrish, 205 yards, four touchdowns. Thaddeus Franklin, 135 yards, three touchdowns. Um, you know, so their, their offense seems to be clicking. But, again, it could be a little bit of competition. So what do you see? So far, Jeff, with um, with with Josh Gaddis here, do you um, what what is he doing to kind of change the way they they run that offense there in Miami? Sure, Tony. Yeah, I mean, coming in as the offensive coordinator at Michigan last year, brought them to the Final Four. Comes down to Miami with Mario Cristobal, trying to put their own identity on it. Uh, it's a spread run system. Okay, so what you'll see in this spread run mentality is they're going to be open formations. Okay, so they're going to limit the number of number of defenders that are in the box. And then they want the defense to defend the entire field. So it's just over 53 yards wide when you look at a football field. That's a lot of space. And that's where these spread run teams is they want to open up the box so they can run the ball inside and have numbers for their offensive line, but also put these perimeter screens on the edge where now this defense has to rally. and You've got to play horizontal and play and cover every blade of grass. Uh, you'll see his personnel groupings. He's primarily going to be out of 10, 11, and 12 personnel. Uh, we talked last week on the podcast about these personnel groupings uh, with 10 personnel. You're going to see one running back and no tight ends. 11, you're going to see one running back and one tight end. And then 12 personnel, you'll see one running back and two tight ends. You'll see these two tight ends off the ball and that one by one alignment. So one yard behind the offensive tackle and then one yard outside. Uh, what this does give a spread offense is it still gives them four vertical threats to push the ball downfield. You just have different personnel groupings to do it. You'll see Josh Gaddis go with tempo, okay? Miami last week against Southern Miss, they went up tempo in short yarded situations. Um, so as soon as that ball was second and three, they were pushing the pace to line up and get another play. So uh, this this is really hurts the defense because the defense cannot communicate as fast and they can't get aligned where they need to be. Off of this and this spread system mentality is a freeze play. So you're going to push the ball fast, and then all of a sudden you're going to get up and give you a set, hut, hut, and they're going to freeze the defense with a dummy signal and a dummy cadence. And either you're going to get the defense to jump off sides, or if they don't jump, that's going to give you the identity to stay there and now call the right play that you need because you're going to see exactly where they're lined up. So I think in the tense, uh, it's similar to kind of hit training for you fitness buffs out there. So this high intense interval training, you're going fast, you're slowing down. 
Um, it's really difficult for the defense, and he's really carrying that over. Uh, and then the last part, Tony, is you saw the trickery, uh, the old trick play last week. They had a flea flicker for a touchdown. Uh, what was most impressive to me is they, they ran the flea flicker for a touchdown after they ran 10 consecutive runs. So it was set up well. The safeties were coming down in the box. They hit it for a touchdown. Uh, so Josh, Josh Gattis, it's a little bit about his system and kind of what he's kind of do. No, yeah, definitely. Thank you for that, that breakdown. I think that, you know, definitely kind of, I saw a lot of that last week of what you're describing. So um, let's talk a little bit about their, um, their offensive front, their offensive line. Um, I will say it's much bigger than what Appalachian state had. And, you know, obviously Appalachian state kind of controlled that, that pace of that game last week, which with a, with the big, um, you know, time of possession um, there, but um, you know, but I think Miami's front is, I think more known for their pass protection. Um, obviously they're, they're running the ball pretty well this year as well. Do you, but in this game coming up with that tough defensive line of Texas A&M, do you see Miami just kind of abandoning the run a bit here and, just lend their protection, protect their quarterback and throw the ball around? Or how do you see them kind of attacking that Texas A&M? Um, yeah, it's a, it, it's a great question because you saw where they were last year with, with Rhett Lashley calling plays, okay? He was now the head coach at SMU. They were spread and slinging it for Miami last year. And this is where Tyler Van Dyke came in and started slinging the ball around and having success. Um, but you got, it starts with the leader of the program, Mario Cristobal. He's a former Miami Hurricane offensive lineman. He played the position. Uh, he was the Oregon head coach and they were a run first offense, even with Justin Herbert there. Uh, he's bringing that mentality back to Miami. Okay. That physical side of play. And then when he talked about Josh Gaddis coming over, Michigan is a, was a run dominant offensive last year, all the way to the final four with their zone and gap schemes. Um, so that's the identity there where they want to go. Um, you're going to see them stick to the run even though it, they have the quarterback to spread it and do it. Um, that's where they want to get. It's just not there right now, but it's certainly when you dig into that tape, that's exactly where they want to be is, is sticking to this run um, and committing to that and playing a physical brand of football in the trenches. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if I took any way, anything away from the app state game is that that seemed to work pretty well against this Texas A&M defense and, they were able to control. I mean, they obviously they scored a lot of points, but they were able to control the clock, slow the game down, not make any mistakes. And you, you got to think Miami wants to do that because, uh, you know, I think with Tyler, he's he seems to be good, but he does, you know, just looking at it. I mean, we talked a little bit about this. He, you know, on the road, he was a little, um, you know, inconsistent last year. I will say he, he had a really good, um, really good season this year and last year, about seventy four percent of his passes completion. Um, he won against a couple of ranked opponents last year that he played. Um, but I, I know he um, he did lose to North Carolina and Florida State, which were two of the tough road games they had last year. So if you're, um, you know, you're coaching him, this is his second year. What are the kind of things that you're working with with him on or what things are, you know, just from seeing on the tape that you would you know, be looking out for with him on the road? This is a probably the toughest environment he will play in with, you know, 100,000 or so rowdy fans with, with bells there in Texas A&M. So, how, how do you kind of, as a coaching staff, get him to overcome that and kind of get past what he what happened last year with those road games? Yeah, you got to get him into rhythm early, like any quarterback, uh, regardless of their uh, their talent level. You need to get them rhythm and confidence early, especially on the road. So easy, high percentage throws. Uh, when you look at Tyler Van Dyke last year, uh, ACC Rookie of the Year, uh, Connecticut High School football, shout out to my, my Connecticut <laughs> High School football there, former player. So there is football up there. 
six foot four, 225 pounds. This is a big quarterback. This isn't 5'10, 180 running dual threat around. I mean, this is a this is a grown man sitting there and throwing. Um, what's impressive to me last year is he finished his six straight games. He had three touchdowns and 300 passing yards to end the year. I mean, it's tough to get three TDs and 300 in a single game. He got it in six in a row. Um, but what I saw last week, he just was not in rhythm. Uh, he threw an interception uh, on a smash concept, two by two into the boundary. And when you look at a smash concept, it's one and two receivers. So the number one receiver is going to either run a five yard stop or a hitch, which is going to be run to six yards. And he's going to come back and turn back to the ball at four yards. The number two receiver inside, he's going to run a corner route. Okay. 10 to 12 yards. So this is a very, very simple base read for the quarterback you're reading the cornerback okay if the, it's a high low read if the cornerback drops you're just going to throw that hitch to the number one receiver in that five yard area six back to four if that cornerback comes over and he comes up tight you just throw the corner route right behind him it's 10 to 12 yards because the safety that's over there he's now inside the field you already have leverage on him as that inside receiver again this is a very simple base read high school colleges pros use it but to see him throw the interception on it into the boundary, it's a short side, um, just shows he just wasn't in rhythm and was and just not comfortable yet where they are offensively. For sure. All right. Um, so that's the, obviously a good breakdown of um, the offense. But is there any, before we move on to um, Texas A&M side of the ball, the defense, what players are you kind of watching out for on Miami's offense that could make a big impact in this game? Someone that the, the fans out there can you know, keep an eye on and maybe be able to break some big plays or, or make a big impact on the offensive side. Yeah, you got to look at this as tight end you, right? So you got to yeah. think about Jeremy Shockey, Bubba Franks, you know, Kellen Winslow, like a lot of junior, a lot of these guys that have played there over the years, they love Will Mallory down there, the tight end to look for, okay, um, as a pass catcher. What Josh Gaddis is doing, though, is he's using multiple tight ends for blocking and catching, okay, until these guys get comfortable and go. But Will Mallory is the guy to look at at tight end position. Uh, the receiver position, uh, for listeners, look out there. you got to look at Xavier Restrepo, okay? He's the college roommate of Tyler Van Dyke, okay? These guys are tight, throwing and catching early mornings, late at night. You can just see the rhythm and just kind of the feel they have for each other out on the field. So Xavier Restrepo at receiver. Um, but the run game, you're going to see multiple guys like you talked before, Tony. It's a three-headed monster back there. It's a, it's a they want to be a run-first offense with options off of it. Uh, but you're going to see three of them, and they're going to be rotating in and out. Uh, but look for Mallory and Restrepo certainly in the pass game. All right, some guys to keep an eye on out there, folks. Um, let's move on to the Texas A&M side on the defense. So obviously, there's been some transitions on the Texas A&M side. Um, they, you know, obviously Mike Elko went over to Duke to be the head coach. He was doing pretty good there, 2-0 at Duke. So good job for Mike Elko out there. Um, but have you seen any noticeable changes? Obviously, they were really, you know, I think he really changed that culture and that, that defensive room with his time there. But uh, have you seen any changes from the time he there and uh, to DJ Durkin taking a, that job over? Yeah, DJ Durkin coming over as a defensive coordinator. Uh, he was a co-OC last year at Ole Miss. He's a DC at Michigan before that, DC at Florida in his time. You know, 2015, uh, he was the head coach at Maryland. You had the controversy there, um, and it, that's kind of where he went to be an assistant after that. But when you look at this Texas A&M defense, multiple is the theme that I see on video for them. Okay, so you're going to see multiple fronts. You're going to see that base 4-2-5 that they played out of last week. Um, they're going to show a 3-4 defense where they got a lot of their pressure packages. 
um, against Appalachian State. And then Durkin even likes a 3-3-5 defense. So listeners, when you hear these numbers, okay, again, 4-2-5, it's just four down linemen, it's two linebackers, and then five defensive backs. When you hear a 3-4 defense, that's three down linemen, and that's four linebackers, two inside linebackers and two outside linebackers. And then depending on how they want to play with their depth, uh, they could walk up, they can play back, but that's the, the base of a 3-4. And then in a 3-3-5 defense, you have three down linemen, three linebackers, and then five DBs. In a 3-3-5 look, the three down linemen, you're going to have three stacked linebackers right behind them. It's really difficult for an offense to pick these guys up because they're lined up four to five yards directly behind those three down linemen and can come any different way. So you'll see uh, multiple fronts when I, when you look at this and hopefully that helps the listeners when you, when you hear, see these names and these terms and numbers, they understand uh, you're going to see multiple pressures as well. I said, multiple is the theme here. It's a four two five pressure. When you're watching on Saturday, look for the inside linebackers pre-snap. Okay. Right before the snap, they're going to walk up into those a gaps. The a gaps are going to be on either side of the center. They're going to walk up and either come right away or they're going to drop back, okay, to create some pressure. And then when they rush their four down linemen, those TE twists we talk about, they primarily run a TE. So the tackles are going to go first and then those ends are going to come around. Look for that when they don't bring any additional defenders just with the front four. When they go to their three, four pressure package, okay, three down linemen, four linebackers. Look for these outside linebackers coming from depth, okay? You're going to see these delay blitzes to the field or the boundary. They're not going to look like they're in the picture when you see the box. But, boy, when you look up before the snap, these guys are going to be flying and off the edge, okay? The last part of the multiple theme that we're talking about here with this Aggie defense is the pre-snap movement, okay? They're going to be in two high safeties, but before the snap, they're going to rotate one safety down, and they're going to put that other safety right on top. So these safeties are rotating down right before the snap to try to confuse the quarterback. So Gaddis and Tyler Van Dyke are really going to be on top of all the movement that they're going to see from the interior, the exterior, and then these multiple pressure looks. Uh, definitely a good breakdown. I think you saw that, you know, just by looking at uh, if you look deeper into that game, I mean, the they, they held App State to 3.5 yards, uh, you know, per play rushing. Um, they didn't generate anything 20 yards down the field. It was all right there, you know, short passes that they held them down to and really kind of suffocated at App State offense, even, you know, if App State kind of just chipping away at it. Um, do you see them changing anything at all? Is there anything that App State did that they, you know, might be concerning that they want to change for this Miami game? Anything you kind of expect that they would look at changing, maybe a personnel change or um, approach changes based on the fact that I think, obviously, uh, Tyler could probably throw it a little more to Chase Bryce can with a, with a stronger arm. So that might you know, they might've been able to hold that in because Chase Bryce can't throw it over to safeties, but I think Tyler can. So do you see anything that um, they may change with their approach uh, coming up in this game? Well, when I look at something that's going to change, uh, I look at the strength, okay? The box and the size of the defensive linemen, they've got a good thing going right there on defense. Uh, Antonio Cromartie, long time, you know, Florida State player, first round draft pick, New York Jet. Uh, he's the DB coach there. Okay. So you have mixture of good coaching and you've got guys and you've got players over there. Um, the weakness with this defense though, is the communication. Okay. Because when you have so many multiple looks, it sounds crazy. It sounds all these numbers and the movement, but at the end of the day, you got to be really good at one thing or another. Okay. Before you start growing. So the communication, because they're such a young defense, I think Miami can start with their tempo and their movement. Um, 
with what Gaddis is doing offensively can give them fits. But the number one thing I see if you're a Texas A&M defensive coach or player this week during practice is it's turnovers, okay? Because you got to look at the state of your offense. If you've got a lot of issues on the other side of the ball for your own offense, you need to be an elite defense. You need to start creating turnovers, okay? So in order to do that, you're looking at some of the practice drills. I mean, we'll talk about what they should be focusing on this week is fumble recoveries, okay? So how to recover that fumble when it's loose. You put an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman, you put them right on their back. You blow the whistle and you throw that ball on the ground and you get those guys have to react without seeing the ball teach them how to cover it up. Okay. This can be the change for them to be start becoming a really, really good defense. Uh, the strip drill. Okay. Where you have a running back and a linebacker and the one, one tackler is wrapping up the defender. And then all of a sudden another defender is coming in and he's punching the ball out. And the last part of this practice drill to become a turnover defense is the tip drill. Okay. Defensive lineman can tip a ball linebacker, a safety or corner, and then they're calling, make some kind of old school okey call or some call where they alert each other that the ball's up in the air. So these fumble recoveries, the strip drills, and these tip drills, um, if I'm DJ Durkin in this defense, we're working on it this week to create turnovers because um, we're going to play offense on defense in a sense. No, that definitely makes sense. And when you, you know, kind of dive deeper into the game as well, you know, one thing I saw was they were, um, Last week, App State was really allowed to convert way too many third and short or, or medium opportunities to kind of extend their drives, which is why you see the time of possession there. So, you know, I think part of that is if you look at like their yards up the contact, it was it was, at, you know, three yards up the contact, which means they're missing tackles or they're not putting enough effort to get the tackle. So definitely as part of those um, those those drills, I'm sure they're going to be working on making sure that they bring the defender down the first first opportunity that they get. Um, and make sure they really, you know, are solid, you know, because if it, at, they miss that one, if it's a third and two, they miss a tackle, then it's a first down. Um, so I, I don't know if you saw a lot of that as well, but I'm assuming, you know, that would be a big emphasis as well, making sure, you know, those tackling drills, just doing the basics. And I, I saw a lot of that just, you know, watching that Notre Dame Marshall game, very similar, a lot too many, too many, you know, missed tackles, especially for teams that is expected to play for a, a national championship. Uh, I don't know, like, is, I don't know if that's fixable. Is that fixable in a week or is that just, is that lack of focus or is that just lack of, uh, you know, preparation or is, is that able to be fixed with the, with the same personnel, you know, in your experience? It's a want to, right? Tackling's a want yeah. to. You, you want to do it? Yeah, it's hit or be hit, right? That mentality, okay, of what you want to do. Um, but what you're going to see is some, sometimes they might want to do that. But if we're just talking about these drills and tip drills and trying to create turnovers, well, if I just go to punch the ball out of somebody and he, and I don't punch the ball out, well, I didn't make a tackle now. And now the offensive player is still moving. So, um, and that can be, that can be sometimes difficult for defenses. So working on securing the tackle, waiting until your teammate comes over to help punch the ball. All right. So now we're not gaining yards. Just like you said, um, you want to do that first, uh, you know, before you start seeing them um, try to create turnovers, just securing that first going back to basics. Uh, the other part of that, Tony, is we just touched on all of these multiple groupings and personnel, and it sounds great and it draws up great on the whiteboard. But if your players aren't playing fast and they're confused, you're going to see missed tackles. You're going to see misalignment. You're going to see things like that. So that may be something they're looking in a video this week of, hey, how can we be a little bit simpler? Because Appalachian State got us in certain look that we didn't like, and they kind of attacked and attacked and attacked it. So we need to get better at maybe one thing before we start growing and doing two and three different looks. That makes sense. Definitely does. Um, all right. Kind of wrapping this up, you know, what are some of the 
the players that we should kind of watch out for here that can make an impact. I'm especially, you know, interested on the defensive line because um, looking at it, they're, they're playing more, I would say younger players. Obviously they have a lot of younger, uh, higher rated players, but these guys don't have as much experience. So maybe, is there anybody sticking out within that group or whatever part of the, the defense that you feel like can really uh, pick this defense up and uh, continue um, where they want it to be? Anybody stick out to you as someone that can really make an impact here? Yeah, to your point, just like you said about the defensive line, I mean, even in their 2022 recruiting class, they had 24 in the top, 24 players in the top 300. They had yeah. five, five stars, five, five stars that's tied for first in the country with Alabama. And then they had five players in the top 10 that's tied for first with Florida. Like, and these are a lot of these defensive linemen you were just mentioning. But the, the two that stand out for me is one, it's Antonio Johnson, okay? He's 6'3", he's 200 pounds, he's a safety playing in that secondary. Uh, he's Mel Kuyper's, my guy, Mel Kuyper's number one NFL draft safety. He's a preseason All-American. Uh, he was second in tackles last year. Antonio Johnson is the guy to watch in this AM defense. And then Edrin Cooper, a linebacker, very impressive last week as an inside linebacker. Uh, last year, 2021, he was all SEC freshman team. So I'm looking at Antonio Johnson uh, at safety and Edrin Cooper at linebacker. These guys to make an impact for the Aggies. All right. We'll be able to look out for those guys in that game. Um, to your point, man, they have a super talented team. Um, you know, it's about how quick some of these guys um, get up to speed with experience. Because you got to think um, eventually this is going to click, or if it doesn't, there's going to be a lot of transfers. So, because um, these guys all want playing time. If they're not getting it and they don't feel like that's the reason they're not playing well, I mean, that can eventually happen. So, that would be something to keep an eye out for. All right, um, let's transition uh, to Miami defense. You know, I would say that um, Miami's defense have looked pretty good this year, but, I mean, their competition has been uh, pretty weak. I think they won their first game 70-13, to 13, second game 30-7, to 7, so they, they limited their scoring of their, their opponents to, you know, right around that 10 points a game so far early in the season. But um, what are some of the things that you're seeing them doing well since Mario Cristobal took over uh, and brought in his staff? It, you know, what have they changed from last year? Has you, have you seen any major changes from last year? Yeah, so they brought in Kevin Steele, okay, the longtime veteran defensive coordinator. He's 64 years old. Uh, he was a DC at Auburn more recently, and then LSU before that. He's got head coaching experience. This guy's been around, run multiple defenses. Um, they've got two transfers on their defensive line from Maryland and West Virginia. They've got a Georgia transfer at cornerback. So they're bringing in players at a rapid pace trying to get this thing on run. There are four, two, five base. So four down linemen, two linebackers, and then five DBs. That's who they are. That's who they want to be. Um, you don't see a whole lot of mixed different looks and pressures and things. It's more in the back end of how they try to disguise things. But this is that old school the U Miami hurricane, we're going to beat you up front with four. Uh, their strength is their team speed. They are fast. They are fast sideline to sideline. Um, if AM tries their perimeter screens and getting on them, Miami's going to rally. That's their strength. Uh, the weakness you see against this Miami defense is the vertical passing game. They struggled with teams pushing the ball on them vertically um, when they need to. So to attack a defense like this, who's very fast, you got to run at them, not away. So don't run wide zone away and make them rally to it because they'll catch you even on the backside. You want to run right at them. You want them to have to make them play blocks fundamentally with kickouts and wraps and make them play inside there. Um, and then when you start challenging the secondary, you want to start your four verticals and start switching routes and doing different things to attack them behind there. But uh, they are fast out of that four man front. 
those wide nine techniques, and we say wide nine, if there was a tight end there, the gap outside the time, that would be a nine technique outside the tight end. Um, so he's going to go as wide as you can to try to make it difficult for the offensive tackle to get him. Um, and they'll use those TE and ET twist up front. So it, that, that kind of has that old hurricane feel to it right now for where they want to be. No, it's great to hear for um, hurricane fans. Um, this, in your opinion, is kind of looking at the tape, looking at the, the roster. Did they have the playmakers this year to make this into a uh, tier point, maybe a hurricane type um, defense? Or are, do you feel like there's still a couple of recruiting classes away to really making this into uh, a defense that we kind of expect from Miami? Because I, I remember in years past, they have the turnover chain. They do really well and get some of those bad teams. And then they, they go up against a, a, a team that has just a match or you know, talent as they do, and they just can't seem to stop them. So what do you, what are your kind of impressions here? Does this team have a chance to be good this year um, with the players they have transfers they have? What, what do you, what are you thinking so far? The coach in me says they do says we got the guys right here. Mm-hmm. We're going to do this. This is happening right now. The fan who's watching them play says it's going to take some time. Okay. They're going to need some more recruiting classes to do it the way they want to do. But Tony, let me tell you, this is how you're going to combat this if you're them. Okay. And this is what you're seeing them do early on in defense uh, when you look at the secondary. Okay. So we talked about the 4-2-5 defense. Okay. With five DBs. Okay. You're going to see them out of a couple different looks in the secondary. And this is what I like until they can get those recruits and where they need in there. This is kind of what they're doing in the back end as far as coverage. Okay. Two high safeties. With their two corners, they're going to run quarter coverage, okay, which is just cover four. So each defender, the cornerbacks and those two safeties are going to have a quarter of the field. They're going to be responsible for deep. Everything else, keep it right in front. Before the snap, now they're showing these two high safeties, and then one is going to rotate down inside the box, and you're going to see one safety stay in top. That leaves what is primarily a cover three look. You have two cornerbacks, and now you have one high safety, okay? So they're going to show you the two high look, and then when you see them rotate down, it's cover three defense behind it. Cover three is what Miami Hurricanes want to be, okay? And this is what they run predominantly last week against Southern Miss. It's just a way for them to show you how to get there once you're looking at the secondary. Uh, In that one high defense, you're going to see James Williams in the middle of the field, okay? Uh, I'm not saying he's Ed Reed and those guys and Sean Taylor, right? But that, that's kind of, you can see where they want to get to once they start recruiting these guys. But James yeah. Williams will be that guy, that cover one, okay? So cover one, you'll see he's the cover one. It's just one safety in the middle of field, and then it's man defense underneath, okay? And you'll see that a lot of side in the red zone once they're inside the 20. Um, but when we talked about, you know, primarily what Miami is on defense where before they can get these playmakers to the recruiting classes is a one high cover three defense. OK, so they're going to have their corners come and they're going to press bail, we call, which they're going to press against the receiver. It's going to look like man. But soon as that snap hits, these guys are going to turn and run because they're responsible for a third of the field, right? A cover three defense, each corner has a third of the field, and then your safety in the middle has that third. You just split the field into three different parts. So these corners are going to play off at five yards, and they'll take off back and press three, or you'll see them come up in this press bail technique where they're going to press the receiver looking like man, but as soon as that snap goes, they have responsible for the deep third, and they're going to turn and run. Now, They've got to get better at it quick because last week this happened to them and they got beat for a deep touchdown pass against Southern Miss. Um, so AM is looking at it like you might want to play off if you're Miami because if you press and beat us, we feel like we've got some bigger guys and better guys on the outside. But yeah. that's a little bit about the Miami defense, kind of what they're doing in the secondary until they get the guys they want 
um, to go there as far as their defense, but uh, several different looks in the back end from Kevin Steele, the longtime DC. All right, good breakdown there for us. All right, let's, let's wrap this up with the Texas A&M offense, probably the one area everybody wants to wants to hear about. I know <laughs> if you follow this podcast with the main podcast since we've been doing this last since last season, um, we we've kind of brought up the fact that. Um, now, the weakness of this team has has felt like for a while that it's the offense, especially the quarterback play. Um, and, it you know, it, it always seems to me to come down to uh, quarterback is not um, not successful, but a lot of it has to do with the play calling. Um, they've had great running backs, but they don't use them. So there's just a lot of things there I'm interested in with the with the Texas A&M offense and what, you, what you've seen so far. So, you know, break it down a couple weeks worth of film. You know, what 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 is your take on the uh, – Texas A&M offense. Is, does this come down to, you know, Jimbo Fisher's play calling? Does it come down to they don't have the right quarterback? A combination of both. What, what are you thinking, Jimbo Fisher? Hundred uh, percent identity. Who are you? We look at you on video. We see you play. Like, who are you guys? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, are we run first? Are we going to spread it and chuck it? Like, you know, you need to get it. You don't have a feel for who these guys are. You just get a feel like they're just calling ball plays and trying to figure something out. Uh, which is not good, okay? They're primarily at a 10 and 11 personnel. Um, so one running back, no tight ends, 11 personnel being one running back, one tight end, okay? That's their highest uh, personnel percentages. Uh, what they do do well is they're tight in their wide zone run game. You know, Tony, they ran the ball last year like we talked about in the past. Um, they ran it. They have a good run game. They've got Mel Kuyper's number one offensive lineman at guard on there. Um, and then they've got built-in quick screens on the backside. You just want to see them continue to build off of that and morph into the pass game uh, to help your quarterback, Haynes King. But you look at Jimmo and it's, it's play calling uh, right now because they've got players to do it. We talked about the recruits. We talked about how many guys they have. They got to coach them up and they better coach them up quick, you know, if they want to go ahead and compete the SEC no for sure you know speaking of that uh, with Haynes King um, he struggled a little bit last year he got benched he's struggling a little bit this year again we talked about maybe not put him in the right position there's obviously calls to, to play another quarterback as there always is when there's a loss um, you know as a, as a coach what is your philosophy here do you try to run with the veteran do you go to another veteran you have in your in your back pocket and Max Johnson who came from LSU or do you just kind of roll the dice? You already lost a game and go with maybe your more high ceiling uh, freshman quarterback that you have out there, Wingman. Um, you know, which, what, you know, if you were in charge here, what, what is your thought process? Do you just try Haynes King again? If he's not producing, have a quick trigger figure, or do you just go ahead and pull that trigger now? Because if you're reading reports out there, it looks like all three are practicing with the ones this week. So they're, mm -hmm. they're trying to see what they got for sure. But what, what are your thought process as a coach? What, what would be the steps that you would take here? Yeah, every situation is different. Every quarterback is different. But when I look at this situation with Haynes King and I look at the play calling of where they are on offense is I'm going to go with Haynes King, but we're going to play to his strengths. OK, you got to look at what he does well. So he's the number three dual threat quarterback in 2020. So that just tells you he's got legs and he can move. OK, typically what you want to do with guys who can move with their legs and they might not have that vertical arm in the passing game is you want to start with your read run game. OK, this goes back to zone read, run your zone read, reading the defensive line on the end of scrimmage on the backside of your run. OK, if he chases the running back, you pull it and now you have your dual threat where you can still throw a perimeter screen ultimately creating a triple option, or now you can run the ball if you're Haynes King doing what he did well. You saw him drop back on third and 15 last week. 
he just not comfortable, but then he takes off and gets the first down on third and 15 to move the chains. Use that a part of your run game to help your quarterback because your offensive line is good. A chain at running back is running the ball well on your tight zone. Keep this going and build off of it and kind of build a foundation and align these things up. And you're creating an extra number in the run game for the defense, which is a whole nother set of problems. Sprint out passing. Okay. You might not be a drop back quarterback, but move the pocket. When you sprint out pass with a quarterback, okay, what you do is you cut the field in half. They don't have to worry about reading, scanning this side, front side, back side. It's typically a two man route. It's here or it's not, or take off and use your legs. Okay. It's wide zone protection. So your offensive line is already moving in that direction. That's already what they do well. Your quarterback wants to be on the move. That's what he does well. And then you're eliminating some of these fulfill reads to him. Uh, the last part I'll do with them is your play action pass, okay? And you do this because you have a run game and it's built off there. There's pressure off him. Make it look like tight and wide zone, which you're doing well. Get the ball to Aeneas Smith, okay? He's went 25 straight games with a reception. Um, he plays outside and inside. But these are things when you look at the read run game, your sprint out passing and your play action pass that I'm going to play to my QB strengths and we're going to do this with Haynes King. Instead of saying, well, hey, you don't fit the system play to his strengths and let's build off of this and get some confidence around him. Yeah. I think it's a smart thing to do. You know, I kind of look at the way Texas A&M plays almost like the, the way that the old NFL teams used to play, right. Is um, before we moved to all this RPO, they're really, he's trying to fit into a, maybe a system he wants to run that he's used to running, but may not be what's most beneficial for college football teams today. And I think you get sometimes as, as coaches, I, I imagine that you get kind of something that's worked for many years when it start, it's not when it stops working. You kind of blame the players without thinking like maybe things have changed. Maybe they defenses now adjusted to how they attack that, and now you have to change with the times. I think of like Alabama, like Nick Saban. He never would have played the way they're playing with offense today, but he realized it wasn't working, and he made that change. And I think that's kind of where Jimbo Fisher is today, um, where he really needs to take a look at to your point, look at the personnel and play to their strengths and later what will win the win the game here do you think he does though in your opinion just watching him for years um do you think he tries to, to change the way they've been playing or do you think he just tries to fit that square peg into that hole again square peg into the hole tony just just like you said yeah. i mean it's it just it i can just almost visualize without being there where there's assistant saying like hey this is what we need to do this is what we should try to do but it's more of that feel like this is what we do, okay? And if he can't do it, get me the guy who can. This is my track record. This is head coaches. Now, I'm not there, but this is the feel you yeah. get from watching him video, right? And, it, and this could be frustrating as assistant coaches putting this game plan together because they're stale. Uh, let's, let's just be honest, Tony. They're stale. They're a static offense. So offensive football now, it's 2022. Most teams are either using motion to shift and create an advantage or, or they're using some kind of tempo. They're doing neither. And when they do it, it's a little bit, it's a little bit here. And it's only out of a certain play, which is really easy for a defense to pick up on. So they, they're not relying on anything. You know, when you motion, you're creating alignment advantages and you're creating communication issues on the defense. Okay. Especially when it's a new defense like Miami, use motion and shift and trade these guys back and forth to have them align. You don't see that at all with this Aggie offense. And then tempo, you know, with tempo, it creates rhythm on offense for a quarterback. You know, we're talking about Haynes King. What do we play to his strengths? Get the kid in rhythm, get high percentage throws, okay? Get him for a feel for the offense where he's not just dropping back and people are teeing off on him. Um, so the tempo you can use, um, it gives conditioning issues for the defense and it limits their substitution packages. It's really tough to substitute 
Institute to match what you're doing. So you don't see any hardly any motion or tempo right now, and they look like a stale offense. Yep, no, I totally agree with you there. Um, I'm kind of with you. I don't think nothing's going to change, but it, you know, I've been surprised before. But um, I think things will have to change, or they're going to put a different quarterback in, and and he'll play to the way Jimbo wants, and it plays it better. So I think those probably will happen. All right, um, so that takes us there to prediction time. Um, we we kind of broke down all sides of the ball. You know, with that being said, based on the strengths of both teams, what where do you see this one going? If if you had to make a prediction. I think the Aggies are going to respond and they're going to compete. Um, if I'm the Aggies, we're pissed off. Okay. We've been humbled. Uh, Appalachian state coming into Kyle field. Okay. Uh, last week, looking at this game, this is prime time now. Okay. This is eight o'clock central time on ESPN. It's the big game of the night. Okay. And you took it two ranked teams right now going at it in Miami coming into your place and you just got humbled. You're pissed off. Your practices are, diff- are a lot more difficult this week. Um, no one's happy. No one's sleeping well during the week. OK, you, I think they're going to come out here and respond. Uh, I look at Kyle Field. OK, Kyle Field, I'd go with my cousin Ian Pierce down in Texas and we go to so many games. And that place is rocking. That is by far the best college football environment I've ever been a part of is going to a game there. If there are fans that are there, they're going to be twice as loud as they were last week after what happened, not seeing Appalachian State come in. So I see a lot of these things lining up for the Aggies to, to come back. Um, Miami's not tested, okay? They just haven't been tested yet. Um, I, I love what Mario Cristobal's doing, uh, but they're raw and it's a transition. Uh, the one thing they do have is the quarterback, and that's the difference maker in this. We talk about the struggle of the quarterback. Um, you know, with the Aggies, you look at Van Dyke and what he – was and can be for this offense um, could be something that gets Miami there, but I like the Aggies to respond and compete for four quarters in this one. All right. Um, there you have it. You have um fixed name with a comeback here, getting in their, their season. Right. Um, yeah. I have a hard time seeing them lose twice in a row. Um, I, yeah. With, with Miami, I have in my head the last few years, I know it's a different head coach, but last few years they play well, then they, play a team that with some talent and they usually don't respond very well. Um, so, and it's going to be in with your more in Kyle field. It's going to be loud. This is really, that's where they struggled, you know, last year on the road. So this will be a good test for Mario to get to see, if he can get this team up and going. Um, I see it being a close game, but I think te- Texas A&M will pull it out. Um, but it could be ugly, but yeah, I think Texas A&M will write the ship before they have to go out and play Arkansas and Alabama and their season really kicks off and, and, one way or the other is going, it depends on the direction that they go in there. But no, thanks again, Jeff, for the, the great breakdown. I think, um, you know, definitely a lot of good points, a lot of good things to watch out for this weekend. Um, and we, we look forward to watching along. If you follow along with us on In the Flat Pod on Twitter, uh, check out our website, intheflatpodcast.com, and we'll be making sure we post some good content here in the next coming days and weeks. So follow along with us. And if there's anything you want to see or anything you want to hear on these podcasts, feel free to reach out and let us know. All right. Until next week, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye.